0: Our scripture is from John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. Please stand for the reading of scripture. John chapter 3 and verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near... Salem, because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, May God add his richest blessing to reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you've spoken to us. Thank you that you've sent your Son. And we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up and hear his voice. And know him and follow him. And we pray that you would meet each of us where we are. And tell us exactly what we need to hear. You are able to do that. You are able to meet each individual one of us in our circumstances, whatever they may be. And they're all very different. Some of us may need a word of comfort and encouragement. Some of us may need a word of conviction. Some of us may need to be called to come to Jesus today, maybe for the first time. But you're able to tell each of us exactly what we need to hear, and we pray that you do it now in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. God so loved his son that he gave him. What? It is that time of year. I expect many of you were out shopping yesterday, and gentlemen, you have my deepest sympathy. You're looking for the perfect gifts for the people you love and for the cheapest gifts you can get away with for the people to whom you have to give the gifts. We've all done it, haven't we? But today let's think about the truly special heartfelt gifts. The gifts that we cannot wait to see the look on the face of the recipient when the gift is is unwrapped. We've been looking in these passages in John at the best gift. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's gift to us. The best gift. His only begotten son and eternal life and everything else in him. Now in the passage before us, we see this discussion between John the Baptist and some of his followers. They've been in some kind of discussion with some Jews about baptism, and that prompted them to go to John and tell him that Jesus is drawing bigger crowds than he is, and John answers them and makes that classic statement that he, Jesus, must increase. Life must decrease. And it's one of those bedrock foundational texts for a preacher. John the Baptist here sets the gold standard for all preachers. He doesn't talk about himself. He doesn't draw attention to himself. He is consumed with Jesus Christ and him alone. And this passage serves as a charge to the minister of the gospel. In fact, five or six years ago, in this very pulpit, I charged Reverend John Simons with this scripture and his ordination service. But there's more to this passage when we consider it within the full context of John chapter 3. You know, we have a tendency to consider these passages in isolation, one at a time. But John is making a point in the way he arranges his material. As we look at this passage and see why John put it together... With Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus and then John's great meditation on the love of God in John 3:16, it will raise a question: God so loved His Son that He gave him. What? Let's look at it together. First in this passage. You see the real problem identified. Look at verse 25. Now discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, "Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him." Now John's disciples here are concerned that Jesus' crowd is drawing and baptizing more people than John. Perhaps that's what the Jews had prided them about. Was John's baptism not good enough? Why are they going to Jesus? And it seems to have upset John's disciples. They're becoming partisans. They're on John's team. That's how they see it. And they've come to view Jesus as a competitor. And they don't like it that at least as they see it, their competition is outstripping them. They think that's the problem. But then John identifies the real problem. Look at verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Their real problem is that they don't like the will of God. People are going where they're going because that's where God is sending them. A man cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And John here is calling his people out. You don't like what is going on because you don't like the will of God and your discontent. You know, the Apostle Paul said that he had learned in any circumstance to be content. Whether he had an abundance or whether he didn't have anything, he was content. How did Paul learn that lesson? Because he learned that whether he had a lot or whether he had very little, he had what God had given him. And when we're discontent, and we all get discontent, you know what we're thinking. God made a mistake. I know better. If I were in control, things would be better. The key to learning contentment is to learn that we are not God. And we all know we're not God. But you remember the first temptation that came to mankind from the old serpent? You will be like God. That was the downfall of the human race. And that old flesh still wants to be God so bad. That's why that old flesh is so easily discontented and to learn contentment we've got to learn to fight it every day now John has not yet begun to get into why they're going to Jesus he will but before he can get into that he's got to address the discontentment at the root of the complaint that's the real problem you see the real problem identified. Secondly, you see proper roles clarified. Proper roles clarified. Look at verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Now John explains to his disciples why everyone is leaving him and going to Jesus, and it has to do with their roles in God's plan of salvation. In verses three. 28 to 30, John the Baptist gives three pictures that clarify his and Jesus' roles. First, in verse 28, John clarifies the role of the Christ and the role of the one sent before him. Now, John had always denied being the Christ. And in the very way they brought it up, his disciples acknowledged that he had denied it. They said in verse 27 that everyone was going to the one to whom John had borne witness. He did not bear witness to himself. He didn't talk about himself. No, he preached Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior. You remember John chapter 1. John the Baptist was like a broken record. The same thing over and over. Behold Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. Look at him the next day. Behold the Lamb of God. So here in 328, John is saying, I didn't gather and baptize these people to keep them for myself. I gathered and baptized them to get them ready so I could send them to Jesus. Now, a second picture is found in verse 29. Look at it. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Simple illustration. John says, Jesus is a groom. I'm the best man. Bride does not go to the best man. She goes to the groom. The best man has but one responsibility, and that is to serve the groom as he receives his bride. You see, these followers of John, We're tempting him to steal the bride. What kind of best man does that? You know, preachers do it all the time. There's an old story that two men had walked out of a great metropolitan tabernacle in London. They'd just heard Spurgeon preach And the first man said to the other, What a preacher. The second man said, What a savior. Of course, Spurgeon did not preach himself. If any preacher preached Jesus, it was Spurgeon. But many do preach themselves. What an evil thing it is for a preacher to aim to get people to walk out of church saying, what a preacher. That's adultery. That is spiritual adultery. Then the third picture he gives is found in verse 30. He must increase but I must decrease. The image there of increasing and decreasing is like we would say rising and setting or waxing and waning. It's language used as the sun, moon, and stars. John is saying the sun is rising. Jesus is here. It's time for me to fade away. Bishop Ryle made an insightful comment. He said, As churches decay and fall away, they think less of Jesus and more of their ministers. As churches revive and receive spiritual life, they think less of ministers and more of Jesus. To a decaying church, the sun is going down And the stars are beginning to appear. To a reviving church, the stars are waning and the sun appearing. You see proper roles clarified. You see the real problem identified, proper roles clarified. Thirdly, in this passage, you see Jesus Christ glorified. Look at verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Here, in this last section of the passage, the Apostle John begins to reflect... On the words of John the Baptist. Like we saw last week in the previous passages. John's inquisitive mind begins to go to work. Why? Why did John the Baptist want to decrease and Jesus to increase? And so here the Apostle John begins to reflect on the superiority of Jesus. He says he came from above and is above all and because Jesus is from above, John spends most of his time here dealing with Jesus' words. You see in verse 31, John the Baptist is earthly and speaks in an earthly way but Jesus is from above. And in verse 32, Jesus bears witness to what he has seen and heard in heaven in the bosom of the Father. But no one believes it. It's hyperbole. Then in verses 33 and 34, John explains that to believe in Jesus is to believe God, for Jesus speaks the words of God. You know, John here, he's explaining what he meant in those opening verses. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus speaks the words of God because he came from above. Jesus is the perfect revelation, the perfect communication of God. At the end of verse 34, you see that Jesus speaks the words of God because God gives the Spirit without measure to him. As a man, Jesus was endowed and filled with the Holy Spirit in a way no other man ever was or will be. And so because he is the incarnate Word, God from above... And because as man he is supremely endowed with the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ speaks the very words of God. And you see, John here, he's saying, Listen to the Son. Go to the Son. Behold the Son and no one else. Not John the Baptist. Not the preacher. Listen to the Son of God. See the real problem identified. Proper roles clarified. Jesus Christ glorified. Fourthly in this passage you see the answer simplified. Look at verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things in his hand. See verse 35, the Father has given all things into his hand. The word things there is supplied in the English translation. It really says the Father loves the Son and has given all into his hand. All what? The Father has given all what into the Son's hand? Of course, he's given him everything, period. But what's the context? What raised? What was the question that raised the issue? Remember, why is everybody going to Jesus? And what did John the Baptist say? A man cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. What was he talking about? He was talking about the people going to Jesus were given him from heaven. So here in verse 35, when the Father is given all into the Son's hand, it's talking about the people that go to Jesus. The Father gave them to the Son. You know, it's a major theme in the book of John. People go to Jesus. They believe in Jesus because the Father gave them to Jesus. John 6, 37, Jesus says, You all know it. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will not know why, is cast out. And John is filled with it. No time to quote them all, but John chapter 17 and verse 2, the Lord Jesus prays and he says that the Father has given the Son authority to give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Jesus gives eternal life to the people that the Father gave him. You see, if you have come to Jesus and you believe in Jesus, it's only because long, long ago God the Father already gave you his son, But you see the way verse 35 is framed. The father loves the son and has given all things in his hand. What does that sound like? Let's think about the context here. There's some close parallels throughout the third chapter of John. In verses 1 to 15 of chapter 3. John recounts a true story, and then in verses 16 to 21, he reflects on that story. Then in verses 22 to 30, he tells another true story, and then in verses 31 to 36, he reflects on it. It's parallel. Story, reflection, story, reflection. Now look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's a parallel of verse eighteen. Look at it. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, and so forth. You see the parallel. You see the point here is that John three thirty-five parallels John three. 16, think about it, John reflected on why the son of God was lifted up on the cross to die for our salvation and he concluded that it was because of the father's love for the world that he gave his only begotten son. And now John reflects on why so many people are going to Jesus. And he concludes that they are going to Jesus because the Father gave them to him. But why did the Father give them to Jesus? Look at verse 35 one more time. The Father loves the Son. And has given all things in his hand. He gave the people Jesus because he loves him. So the question. God so loved his son that he gave him what? He gave him you. You know how you look for that perfect gift for the one... You love the most. Have y'all seen Caroline's engagement ring? You need to get her to show it to you. It's absolutely beautiful. Jonathan and Adrian designed it. Adrian made it. It's amazing. It's perfect. Why did Jonathan give her that beautiful ring? She loves her. And for reasons known only to himself, God the Father determined that the perfect gift for the one he loves the most is we. Friday night I got home, I found an envelope in the mailbox and it contained Pictures that my two oldest children had drawn for me and mama had mailed them. I have my daughter's picture with me here. I talked to them on the phone yesterday morning. Here's the picture. And Mary Siobhan asked me all about the picture she had sent me. She said, Did you see the pretty girl and the pretty flower? I don't know how her mama let her get away with all this purple and orange on this flower. (laughs) Doesn't bother me, but it bothered mama. She said, Did you you see all the puffy clouds and the the bright sun and the the candy canes? She was so excited about me getting the gift she had made for me. Can you imagine God the Father? talking about his gift to his son. Did you see that bunch from clover I gave? Maybe you think that sounds more like a gag, yeah. But the father says that bunch from clover, like all his people, is the perfect gift for his son. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And God so loved his only begotten son that he gave him you. Now there's a last word here. You see, the real problem identified, proper roles clarified, Jesus Christ glorified, the answer simplified, and fifthly and finally, you see, God's wrath satisfied. Look at verse 36 again. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's the same question that John has put before us again and again and again. Will you believe and have eternal life or will you refuse and perish? But he states it a little differently here when he says that the wrath of God remains on the one who does not obey the Son. Why does John phrase it that way? He's coming back around. Here's why John the Baptist wanted people to go to Jesus. Because only Jesus could satisfy the wrath of God in their place. Only Jesus could get them out from under the wrath of God. only Jesus could die for them. You know, we're talking about the Father giving people to his Son. And John the Baptist had called Jesus a bridegroom. And the point is that the Father is giving his Son a bride. The bride is his church, and we're the church. But the gift, the bride, cost the Son his life, which he gladly laid down. I think that's why when God made the first bride, Eve, he took a rib from Adam's side because he knew that his son would have to be wounded to get his bride. And that's why John the Baptist preached and that's why we preach Jesus Christ and not ourselves because God the Father gave you to Jesus and no one else. And Jesus and no one else bore the wrath of God in your place. He did, didn't he? Whoever does not obey the Son, the wrath of God remains on him. Now you can remain under the wrath of God or you can come to Jesus. And discover that God so loved his son that of all things he gave him you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.